it wasn't down in, it was sort of on top. But it was in the cylinder. Above the rim. Adjacent to refuse is refuse. It was in a magazine and it still had the doily on. Was it eaten? One little bite. Well, that's garbage. But I know who took the bite. <laughs> it was her aunt. Well, you, my friend, have crossed the line that divides man and bum. But I don't want to be a secondary character. <laughs> Hello, Ivan. Hello, lockdown buddy. And hello to you, our listeners. This is But I Don't Want to Be a Secondary Character. We're a Seinfeld podcast based out of Melbourne, Australia. And every week we take a random Seinfeld episode and examine the secondary characters from it. This week we're doing uh, season six. Uh, episode six, The Gymnast. That's right. A very interesting episode and I guess a pseudo sequel to uh, The Couch, which we've done an episode on in the past because Lindsay, yeah, one, uh, George's girlfriend's back. Yeah, one of those sort of unofficial two-parters that, that kind of follow on directly from each other. A good good combination. Yeah, very good, very good. And we have some uh, characters to talk about today. We got uh, Katia, the Romanian silver medalist from the 1984 Olympics, as well as her gym partner, uh, Misha, and a few other characters, Mrs. Enright and and uh, Lindsay, like I mentioned, uh, who is Mrs. Enright's daughter, he, she makes a return. Yeah, um, I've also got a few notes on Justin Pitt, Mr. Pitt, uh, Elaine's boss, much loved boss. We have talked about <laughs> him in detail in past episodes, but uh, a few bits and pieces on this one, as well as the uh, now Poland Creek executives, Beck and uh, Aronson. Just a few notes on those guys as well. Nice. And uh, if you want to talk to us about secondary characters, you can email us, bidwabasspodcast at gmail.com. You can say hello on all forms of social media. All those details are in the show notes. And if you want to listen to all of our previous episodes, you can do so in your podcast app of choice. And if you want to rate us or review us or just give us any sort of feedback, that would be fantastic. You can support us financially as well. Indeed, we are on PayPal as well as Patreon. And on Patreon, you do get bonus access to this episode early, earlier than everyone else, I should say. And uh, you also get access to Curbcast and Season 11 in our bonus podcasts. That's right. And as of next week, we will be uh, recording Curbcast again. Uh, we're starting season three. We've done the previous two seasons. So uh, looking forward to getting back into that. So just check out the Patreon if you want to uh, get in on that. Finally, as well, we do have a Seinfeld Facebook group. It's called Seinfeldisms. It's the biggest Facebook group dedicated to Seinfeld in the world. Just type Seinfeldisms into Facebook. Uh, we're up to about 87,000 members now, which is absolutely <laughs> tremendous. And we've Mind blowing. Cool, yeah, we've got lots of cool things coming up. So uh, check out the group and keep an eye on uh, what's happening there. Indeed. And speaking of Seinfeld isms, my man, what have you got this week? Uh, yeah, so every week we uh, take real life situations that we can relate back to Seinfeld and uh, talk about them. This week I've got one, but it's one by proxy. It wasn't actually mine. Mm -hmm. uh, so okay. my partner was uh, recently we were looking for places to move. And uh, in her search, she came across uh, a room available in Footscray, which is actually very close to you. Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, and she was looking through some some photos of this place in this place in Footscray, and it had a photo of the backyard. And uh, in the backyard, taped or pinned up to the back fence, was a massive, uh, I guess, painting or print of Kramer uh -huh. uh, drinking, nice. the, uh, you know, with his glasses on, saying, you know, here's to what is it? Here's to having a good time, feeling good all the time. Here's to feeling good all the time. Yeah, the, the classic. <laughs> That's uh, rad. Yeah, so uh, it it was completely out of context. It was just in this person's backyard or in this house's backyard. Yeah. Yeah, so a nice little 
sort of Seinfeldism by proxy for me. Wow, there's actually more Seinfeld fans, you know, in my local area than I expected. That's fab. Not even I would do that. And uh, what about you? Do you have any Seinfeldisms? Yeah, just one, man. I've pre-ordered Jerry's new book, Is This Anything? So it'll go with my uh, sign language book that you gave me a few years ago. So it would be interesting to read five decades of his material and, uh, yeah, have it alongside the uh, sign language book on my shelf. An updated best of compendium of his uh, stand-up comedy. I think it comes out in November, is that right? Uh, October. Yeah, it should come out in a couple of weeks. Yeah, I've been told, yeah. Yeah, so that's fun. Yeah, I got it for a really good price, less than the asking price. So, uh, yeah, pretty happy with that. Sweet. Well, uh, when we can see each other in person, I'll have to uh, read it or or flick through it once you're done with it. (laughs) I can do an audio book. You know, I can record my voice on it and send it to you. Yeah, maybe. (laughs) No, maybe not. (laughs) That's Patreon content that people don't want. (laughs) Oh, I'm sure someone wants it. There'll be someone out there. True. (laughs) Will they pay for it, though? I don't know. (laughs) Nah, you never know. You never know. They might feel sorry for us because we're in lockdown. So, you know, they might throw a few bucks our way just because. I'm paying you to shut up. (laughs) Yes, shut up. Be quiet. Is this audio book on mute? This is actually a bribe. (laughs) It is, yes. Give us money, damn it. Nice. Uh, All right, Seinfeld News for the week. Uh, Again, we're continuing the trend of only one or sometimes zero Seinfeld News pieces uh, that's been happening for the last month or so. Uh, This week, in the spirit of encouraging masks, um, you know, a lot of people aren't happy about it. Um, It's fairly politicized. We obviously won't get into that because uh, we tend to avoid the politics on this podcast these days. Um, But Larry Mm -hmm. Thomas, who is the uh, actor who played the soup Nazi, he uh, has teamed up with a health and wellness company called Boomer Naturals. I'm not sure if that's a Boomers, or you know something else. I'm not entirely sure. I do know that Boomer is is a name of someone, so or you know it can be someone's name. Unsure, but uh, (laughs) teamed up with uh, Boomer Naturals to promote a uh, face mask. And um, you can get it. It's it's really cool. Um, We'll put a link in the show notes, and uh, it, it contains pictures of him, like his face saying no soup for you. And the the promotion's called No Mask, No Soup. Um, and it does also contain some information as well about the effectiveness of masks and why they're important, especially in a uh, worldwide pandemic. And for every purchase, Boomer Naturals have said that they'll donate a mask to a charitable organization um, that supports veterans, um, I'm assuming US veterans, um, homeless, yeah. health workers, nursing homes and children also affected by the coronavirus. So not only can you look fantastic in your own mask, you'll uh, be helping a good cause as well. Well done, Larry. Yeah, an interesting little tidbit as well. They said that the company doesn't just do Seinfeld masks, they do all sorts of uh, health and wellness uh, wellness products, but obviously they're pushing their own masks in, in light of the pandemic. And uh, they said so far they've donated 135,000 face masks I'm guessing, to, to the organizations that uh they uh, said that they'll support with the, the No Mask, No Suit promotion. Yeah, so cool company, cool promotion. Not a plug, even though this kind of sounds like ad copy, but uh, yeah, <laughs> really cool. So if you don't have a mask already, which is probably doubtful because everyone seems to have masks, check out the link and uh, grab yourself one. Nice, man. And nice. And that's uh, that's all the Seinfeld news you have, huh? That's it. Yep. One item for the week. Okay. So, <laughs> nice. Yeah, half news item, half, uh, you know, unpaid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, unpaid advertising. Note the word unpaid. <laughs> Even if by some small chance they offered to pay us for a plug, I'd say, look, we'll do it for free considering it's it's a charitable yeah. donation and, you know, it's in the interest of public health. So paid or unpaid, yeah. I'm, glad. I'm, I'm glad to be talking about it. For sure. And plus, we're basically at the end of the podcast anyway, so no point trying to monetize it now. <laughs> no, not paying our mortgages with this. Don't think so, no. Probably never happen. But anyway, let's take a quick break, man, and we'll come back and talk about some secondary characters from Season 6, The Gymnast. Hi, this is Zach. And Aaron from Seinfeld Law. And uh, you are listening to But I Don't Want to Be a Secondary Character. 
The Gymnast first aired in the US on November 3rd, 1994, directed by Andy Ackerman and written by Alec Berg and Jeff Schaefer. Schaefer, rather. <laughs> in this episode, George's girlfriend's mom thinks he's a bum, Mrs. Enright, played by Lois Nettleton, when she catches George eating an eclair out of the trash can, among various other coincidences. Jerry dates a woman who's a former Olympic gymnast. Her name's Katia, played by Alina Lowenson, and ventures into the territory of sexual pleasures that most men dare not dream of. Meanwhile, Elaine tries to pry Mr. Pitt away from looking at Kramer's new 3D art poster, and meanwhile Kramer gets his kidney stone. Other secondary characters is Lindsay, George's episode girlfriend from last or from the previous episode, The Couch. She makes an appearance again. Maurice Godin plays Misha. James R. Sweeney and David Blackwood play the Poland Springs executives, Aronson and Beck, and Phil Ramsey plays the man in the car where George spills coffee on the windshield. Uh, so a bit of trivia about the episode, mate. What do you have? Uh, this is actually, and you kind of touched on it before, but this is a, the only girlfriend of George's who stays for more than one episode aside from Susan. So every other girlfriend he's had has been uh, for one episode or sometimes half an episode. Well, that's true. Yeah, I, I didn't think of that at all. He, yeah, he hasn't had any besides Susan. Yeah, you're right. Lindsay's the only one who's spread across two episodes. That's yeah. crazy. Yeah, I mean, which makes yeah. sense considering how you know intolerable George would be to pretty much anyone with a pulse. So it makes sense that yeah. hanging around for, I mean, an episode usually covers like a week in real time. So, you know, yep. a, week, mm. a week seems like enough to understand George and then leave. Yeah, well, to me, Lindsay's a very forgiving person. When we talk about her, we can elaborate more on it. But yeah, she's just so patient that she's happy to keep George on. Yeah, she, she must be desperate. But uh, she saw the light. Yeah, we'll, we'll touch on that uh, a bit more when uh, we talk about her uh, in just a moment. Uh, what about you, Deb? Yeah. Uh, trivia? Well, actually, really interesting one. So on November 3rd, 94, when the episode first aired, uh, it was part of a special blackout Thursday night on NBC. So basically, there were three episodes uh, lined up where um, a blackout occurs in New York and it affects all the storylines. So the stunt begins with Helen Hunt's character in Mad About You accidentally causing the blackout while trying to steal cable. And it continues in the Friends episode, the one with the blackout featuring a subplot where Chandler's trapped in an ATM with a Victoria's Secret model. And uh, it ends with the show Mad Men of the People episode birthday in the big house and when I say ATM I mean like an ATM room you know yeah. with like a locked room with the ATM in it yeah so but this episode the gymnast was the only episode which didn't have the blackout subplot ah well there you go really interesting so Seinfeld maybe just didn't want a bar of it and he's like nah I don't want that kind of shit well, yeah, <laughs> but Seinfeld wanted to be so different yeah I mean their whole shtick was you know going against the grain so it makes sense that they wouldn't want to be part of such a promotional night and you know by season six Seinfeld is at the peak of its power so they can pretty much do anything mm. they can they can you know stick their metaphoric forks up at NBC and they can't do anything. So, yeah. Yeah, that's it. That's it. So, yeah, I thought that was really interesting. That This was the episode that was on there. Because I have heard of Blackout Thursday before from NBC, but I didn't know this was the episode. So, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> interesting. Yeah. Yep. Typical sign yeah. for not, not going with the trend. So, good on them. That's all right. In the episode, uh, towards the end, uh, Jerry comments on Misha's cape saying, oh, yeah, those capes are really coming back. That's obviously a reference to uh, Larry David, who plays Frank Costanza's eccentric lawyer in yes. uh, The Chinese Woman, which was from, I think, the season before this, season five, if memory serves. No, uh, season six. Season six. Season I think it's a few episodes six. earlier. Yeah. Ah, okay. Yeah. So uh, and, and yeah. a little uh, callback, you know, which Seinfeld is fantastic. Yep. And this is the second episode where uh, Kramer mentions his fear of clowns again. It was previously mentioned in the opera in season four because <laughs> he's, he's scared to go to the circus with Jerry. 
Brewery. Yeah. So the name of the water company that uh, Mr. Pitt uh, and his company, uh, Morgan Springs, they're, they're trying to mm. uh, oversee a merger with Poland Creek Bottled Water. The combined name Molen Springs, which is revealed to be sort of <laughs> the semi-undoing of Mr. Pitt later in the episode, yep. Is, yep. is similar to a real-life brand called Poland Springs, um, which is mm-hmm. a popular bottle of brand, uh, brand of bottled water in Maine. So they say Molen Springs, Poland Springs, they rhyme. And also Poland Springs yeah. is similar to the Poland Creek uh, Bottled Water Company uh, mentioned by, oh, there you by, go. by Justin. Yeah. Yeah. And it was very, I liked how like, even though it can be seen as sensitive, how Hitler and the Nazis were kind of, that that twist was like related to Poland, like Poland Springs. Oh yeah. I never put that to uh, those two together. Mm, invading Poland in the spring. So <laughs> a little uh, allusion to World War II, how it, how it began in yeah. Europe. And also speaking of um, Ian Abercrombie, the actor who played Mr. Pitt, he actually in real life couldn't work out how to see the same 3D picture that was in the episode until the actual audience taping and became so excited to finally see the spaceship with uh, Saturn and the moons uh, that Larry David actually told him to calm down and they had a show to tape. So it's actually really happened. Oh, wow. I guess his frustration in the episode is probably like partially acting, but partially real as well. That's kind of like one of those. Yeah, yeah. Where, you know, something you didn't plan for works out and makes, you know, the episode better. And the fact that he was like delaying the production just because of the 3D art. (laughs) It's so good. Speaking of the 3D art, a lot of the time when production, well, when TV shows are produced, they make props to emulate or, or copy a real um, a real life thing. But the mm. 3D art that Kramer picks up is actually a uh, a real 3D art, um, and it does actually have a, a yep. spaceship. So yeah, well, that's the one that Ian Abercrombie tried to find the um, the spaceship on. That's the actual one uh, that he did that he tried looking for in real life. Yeah, a lot of the time mm. you know, in production, they'll just make props that you know to to mm. us the audience look like a real 3D print. That the fact that they made a real one um, or you know printed a real one is uh, you know is a nice touch. I think. Ah, gotcha. Yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah, that's good. (laughs) It definitely adds to the realism of the whole show. Yeah, for sure. Uh, That's all the trivia I have. Do you have any more? Nah, that's it, buddy. Who are we going to talk about first? Uh, Why don't we talk about Lindsay Enright? George's episode girlfriend. Yes, played by Jessica Hecht. She's known for Whatever Works. That's actually a Woody Allen film starring Larry David, I found out. <laughs> I, I clicked on the link um, off our, um, IMDb for Whatever Works by mistake, and I was like, oh, shit, is that Larry David? And then, yeah, he actually stars in it. It's a 2009 romantic comedy, which wasn't really received too well, and uh, yeah, directed by Woody Allen, so <laughs> there you go. She was also, yeah, and she was also in Friends. Uh, she's nominated for a short-form comedy Emmy in 2019 for the uh, film special. And she's currently on the TV series on Amazon called The Boys. And uh, this is Lindsay's second and final appearance on the show as she was in the previous episode, The Couch, which we did way back when. Yep. I've actually just started watching season two of The Boys. And yeah, I uh, I know exactly who she is. So yeah. Nice, nice. Yeah, it's, Is it like The Avengers or, or uh, Umbrella Academy oh, or something? It's, no, it's, so it's set in like a, a world where superheroes are real, but they're sort of like a, like a biological experiment from a pharmaceutical company. Right. They're all, you know, they're public persona are all you know typical superhero like very noble and and good and they they only do good for the world and everyone loves them but behind the scenes mm. you know, they're just sort of corporate shills and they're actually very evil like that the main guy he's called homelander he's a he's a parody of superman his cape is literally right. an American flag you know he, <laughs> he shoots lasers from his eyes and he's tall and muscular and handsome and you know he's a, he's a typical you know americanized superhero but he like murders people and like lays his oh. planes down and he's like it's a very dark and very grim and very um kind of <laughs> up and away show, but it's, it's yeah. very yeah, it's very funny. Keith Urban, who's a Zealand actor, he plays 
the sort of the anti-hero who's trying to bring down and expose the heroes for what they are. Oh, you mean Carl Urban? Carl? No, Sorry, you Carl said Urban. Keith Urban, oh, the country Keith singer. <laughs> Sorry, I always get those. I was going to say, Carl I didn't know Urban. Keith. I don't know Keith acted. That's, yeah, that's no, new to me. No, no, yeah. yeah, Carl Urban. Carl Urban. He, yeah, he plays yeah. the. I can't remember his name, Danny or Benny or something like that. Billy Butcher, I think it is. Yeah, he's yeah. this hilarious, like, Cockney English. I think he's, like, former Special Forces. So, he's you know, he's a highly skilled guy, but he's just, like, messy. Mm. He's sloppy. He's a bit of a drunk. He's just, like, all yeah. over the place. And it's an amazing show. Fantastic. Nice. Okay, well, I'll, I'll check it out for sure. Yeah. <laughs> you, you sold me, man. Seeing, yeah. seeing an evil Superman, as if Superman, you know, kills people instead of saves them. That'd be interesting. Yeah, well, I mean, he does save people, but he also, you know, he, it's it's just an act to, to sort of to sell yeah. the corporate image that's been made for him. And the other six main superheroes, they're called the Seven, and they're like a, you know, like an Avengers-style team, but it's, mm. all, you know, it's all manufactured. They've all got, like, publicists and, like, stylists, and it's all, like, the image yeah. is completely engineered on social media and you know it's it's a it's a it's a parody and a cynical take on i guess corporate and and media culture mm. in especially in america so um yeah really really yeah nice man well just going from the boys let's talk about the lady yeah. <laughs> Lindsay. so uh, like we mentioned uh before the trivia yeah she's a very forgiving person i mean she's obviously from the couch she's i think we did mention she loves books and uh, she does she's involved in the book club and um with george i feel like maybe after the whole breakfast at tiffany situation he probably used his pathological lying skills to try and lie to Lindsay about why he didn't read breakfast at tiffany's all 90 something pages and you know Lindsay always sees the good in people and uh, Lindsay's like you know what i'll give this guy another chance yeah i think she um george is whether intentional or not george is the sort of person to take advantage of people's goodwill and i think after being sort of lied to time and time again by george um not just about breakfast at tiffany's but you know him in this episode yeah it's not like george did anything like heinously wrong uh against Lindsay. you know he didn't he did, in this episode at least but the fact that he kind of had to twist the facts a bit to win her back and the fact that she keeps on giving him those chances when she should just see the forest from the trees and leave him uh yeah speaks mm. to her good nature as he said i would expect that after this relationship with george she would be a bit tiny bit more cynical um you know i think she yep. made her realize that you know it's it's nice to have lots of goodwill and forgiveness, but there are people out there like George Costanza who will take advantage mm. uh, and make me mm. feel uh, like I'm obliged to uh, always forgive. So I think I think she would have been a bit more discerning when it came to, you know, who she forgave and what she forgave. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't think it would have hardened her to the point where she's cynical about everything, but it just would have made her a bit less naive, I think. Yeah, and especially because his mum really likes George. And, yeah. you know, even Lindsay's thinking, wow, she's pro he's probably one of the first guys that my mum actually likes. And, you know, if, he, if, if my family likes him, like everyone likes him, the aunts, the grandma, everyone. Um, yeah, so she's probably like, wow, my whole family's going to like him, so he must be a good catch. Maybe, you know, maybe my intuition is correct and George is actually a good guy and I've misunderstood him. But then, yeah, she... <laughs> <laughs> they see him without his shirt on walking out of the bathroom and, and that's it. <laughs> that's yeah. all gone out the window. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like I said, it's not like George did anything directly to betray her, but, you know, the series of comedic and, you know, for her and her mother, embarrassing events that George caused, I would understand why she would not really want to borrow him after this. It's just you're too much of a liability. <laughs> you embarrass me yeah. in, uh, in, in front of our guests. But, yeah, it, funny, funny for us. Oh, very funny, very funny. And George, you know, when he realizes that he's his shirt's off and he's out and there's all those people at the little dinner party, he's just, you know, he knows he's he knows he can't win. That's it. Yeah. Checkmate. Yeah. I think after you know, his third in this case his third time unlucky as opposed to third time lucky, you know, his third his third embarrassing situation is the end. And yeah, he, he seems to accept it. He's just like 
well, that's it. I'm, I'm done. That's, yep. Um, yeah. He kind of just goes with it. He doesn't seem panicked. <laughs> He's just like, yep, <laughs> no, because you know, he knows he feels defeated. Yeah. And he was so distracted by the 3D art that he forgot to, to put his shirt back on. Yeah, he's he's accepted his fate in this situation. <laughs> the situation, which, which is actually <laughs> quite unlike George. Normally, you know, even at this stage, after his third embarrassing situation in you know potentially as many days, he would still like fight or or try and make up a reason why he has no shirt. Like he'd make up a situation that I had to take my shirt off to put out a fire, or I don't know some ridiculous situation. So it's it's actually mm. unlike George to just accept that. Yep, I'm uh, I've dug myself a hole. I can't dig my way out. Yeah, maybe maybe he knew that Lindsay was worth fighting for so he just yeah. gave up yeah i mean I, I think as well george you know we're kind of talking about george but it is related to to Lindsay. i think as well he realizes at this stage when he walks out of the bathroom that he not only has to win back Lindsay, he has to win back her mother and you know the mm-hmm. other relatives that he meets earlier in the episode he you know he's not just embarrassed himself in front of Lindsay and her mom but everyone and that's just who that's you know for someone as lazy as george he's like i i don't have it in me and i have no desire to win back all these people Lindsay, maybe her mother maybe everyone at the same time nah yeah yeah he doesn't have he doesn't have the uh, the strength to do it (laughs) no no he certainly doesn't all the skills no do you have anything about uh anything more about Lindsay? No, well, like I mentioned, that is the last time we see her. And uh, yeah, we, we see her more in the uh, couch episode. So uh, yeah, you can go back and listen. We talked about her in that one as well. So go back and listen to her and her love for books and uh, <laughs> especially Breakfast at Tiffany's. And uh, yeah, and we don't see her ever again. She's an owl in George's history books. She is. She's a, another another casualty in the slag heap of George's ex-girlfriends. <laughs> I like that slag yes. heap. <laughs> All right. Well, let's, uh, <laughs> let's transition to the elder. Enright, Mrs. Enright, uh, Lindsay's mother. Yes, she's played by Lois Nettleton. She was a former Miss Chicago pageant who, um, winner who won in 1948, and she was also a semi-finalist in the Miss America pageant of that same year. Uh, she was nominated for Emmys for The Golden Girls, Fear on Trial, and In the Heat of the Night, and uh, she passed away in 2008. She was aged 80, and she died in Wood Hill, Woodland Hills in California. Ah, okay. Well, with George, I feel like he's just a victim of circumstance whenever Mrs. Enright sees him. I mean, well, to be fair, the the whole eclair situation i mean that's uh, you know i mentioned at the end of last week's episode that maybe eating the eclair out of the bin wasn't too bad because because <laughs> you know it wasn't around any other like yucky garbage but no upon reflection uh, i think maybe it's probably wasn't the right thing to do and mrs enright rightfully was pissed off with george but i feel like the coffee on the windscreen that was that wasn't george's fault you know she just happened to be there and at the right place at the right time and, and see him yeah no look it's more a case of all these incidences you know in their own right aren't terribly offensive or horrible but they kind of paint a picture that Mrs. Enright has of George in that he's a bum you know and and you know he's he's obviously very charming and you know he's probably talked about his job um and I think he's still at the Yankees in this season isn't he yes he um, is yes yeah so you know he probably talks his job up a bit because it's a job that he is proud to have so when Mrs. Enright sees him eating out of a bin and then cleaning coffee off uh, a guy's windshield kind of contradicts the image that he's probably painted about himself in that he's you know he's a charming uh, successful guy you know yeah so I, I can understand why Mrs. N writes a bit apprehensive because it's you're saying one thing, but what I see 
is something different. I can understand why she's a bit apprehensive and a bit dubious uh, of George after catching him eating an eclair out of the bin. And especially with the with the windscreen as well, because you know George, when he's holding the coffee cup, it looks like a tipped coin, like a tip jar. You know, he's waiting for coins to go in there. So yeah, it's just being caught in a compromised position. I have a sense as well that maybe you know we talked a bit about Lindsay being you know maybe a bit naive and too forgiving for her own good, and maybe potentially that being taken advantage of by by ex boyfriends. Maybe George, you know, he's pulling the charm offensive at the the little get together, and you know Mrs. Enright says, you know, I must say you're a real gentleman, and she's really impressed by his lie about being close with his family. I think uh, Mrs. Enright has such low expectations of uh, Lindsay's ex boy or boyfriends because of her maybe choosing not so nice men in the past that you know all George mm. has to do is just be, you know, he's not overly charming; he's just sort of polite, like he does the dishes, mm. a bit of a chat. Like that's for you or me, that would just be the standard of behaviour that we would engage in, you know, in any social situation. But for George, that's going above and beyond. Yeah, for, for George it is, but for Mrs. Enright as well, even though George is just sort of acting like a normal human, he's not exceptionally charming, but because she has such low expectations, I think she interprets that as well. He's a, he's a cut above the rest, but then that's quickly, mm. you know, that's quickly dispelled. <laughs> Five minutes later. <laughs> so, yeah, I think Mrs. Enright's just sort of naturally sus on any of Lindsay's boyfriends because of maybe a history of, of poor choices on her part, you know, and Mrs. Enright yeah. being, you know, not being a fan of her exes. So any little sort of reason to, you know, hold it against George, even though he has a reason, uh, especially cleaning the window, you know, it's it's hard for her to to not have that low standard. And you make a good point as well, because, uh, yeah, because I, I think I feel like George is definitely one of the, you know, the guys that she likes the most and she probably doesn't like most of Lindsay's ex-boyfriends. So uh, I think she just seems really charmed by George. And yeah, I have to agree with you. So when they meet George, you know, on the surface, he appears to be like a really friendly, polite guy, like you mentioned. But uh, Mrs. Enright, uh, you know, just... And it, it's actually funny how, just having a thought about this, it's funny how Mrs. Enright doesn't like George for his lying and his pathological tendencies. He doesn't, or she doesn't like him because of like his physical actions rather than his, you know, yeah. like speech and stuff. Yeah. I mean, maybe she just expects Lindsay to have a boyfriend who doesn't constantly embarrass her, which, you know, I can understand. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I don't think Mrs. Enright like hates George because she doesn't have a reason to hate him. You know, he hasn't done yep. any her, but I think she just feels like an embarrassment and that, you know, yeah. like, by him eating out of the bin and, uh, you know, washing, even though he did the right thing by washing that guy's window and coming out of the toilet, you know, he would be a an embarrassment, you know, he would constantly embarrass her daughter and bring her down and it would just be, you know, it would always be there. Definitely. Uh, do you have anything else about Mrs. Enright? No. What about you? Uh, no, that's it. Let's talk about uh, Katia, Jerry's episode girlfriend. Yes, played by Romanian actress Alina Lowenson. She's most famous for appearing in Schindler's List. Uh, she's also appeared in the films Nadja and A Very Long Engagement and uh, to be honest with you, Steve, I know she, you know, she filled the idea of being an episode girlfriend of Jerry's, but I just didn't really like her character too much. I know she was meant to be bland and boring and only talk about Romania and gymnastics and stuff, but I don't know. I just wasn't a fan of her. Were you? Yeah. Look, I just felt indifferent about her, really. There wasn't much to like. Yeah. What characterized her was Jerry's imagination, really. You know, Jerry imagined that she would be this yeah. absolute uh, minx in the bedroom because of her gymnastic career. Flexibility. Her flexibility. Mm. But that gave you an idea of who she is, even though she didn't turn out to be that person, more than her, you know, on screen. You know what I mean? So she was sort of she mm. was mischaracterized by Jerry, which was more interesting, even though her his characterization was wrong than her her herself. So I think we agree. Yeah, it's uh, I, I didn't dislike her, but she was just very like there just wasn't a lot to latch onto. 
to latch onto, no. But I feel like she's really superstitious as well. She believes uh, in Romanian folklore. Like she says that the comedian is the one to unlock all the pleasures. So that's why she's not all, you know, she's not fulfilling Jerry's fantasies of being flexible. So um, I feel like she's just a very traditional and and it sounds like she fleed her family or maybe her fleed from the dictator Nicolae Ceausescu. That's who Jerry talks about. He was an actual dictator in Romania. I feel like maybe her and, and Misha probably fled like oh, and their families maybe fled and uh, they moved to the US and uh, you know she was really talented in gymnastics and she was able to represent uh, Romania uh, in the Olympics in Los Angeles yeah a lot of athletes who come from Eastern Europe and other uh, developing nations who move to like the US or Australia or the UK or somewhere more developed and but they'll still represent their mother country so I feel like that's probably the case I mean she probably would have had the opportunity to represent the US if she really wanted to but I feel like maybe she's really you know she has lots of pride in where she comes from despite the dictatorship so she probably just wanted to represent Romania which is a good call yeah yeah no I think so and look there was probably a bit of pressure on her you know Romania was a former uh, communist bloc country a former Soviet bloc country so you know there was probably a bit of pressure from from the from the motherland to represent uh, Romania even though she may have been living in America mm. you know a lot of the yeah. time those sort of countries say you know indirectly put pressure on you by sort of maybe threatening a family or, or you know just making you feel bad for for not representing the motherland so it could have been something like that um you know yes choice, but reinforced by that by that sort of pressure from uh you know romania or the uh the ussr yeah i've got a bit of a theory about her i think she actually is a the sexual dynamo that uh you know jerry <laughs> she is but because you know like you said she's you know she's quite reserved she's quite you know she's not overly expressive or emotional she's you know she kind of only says what needs to be said and that you know, is a cultural thing as well. Like, I guess she fits that stereotypical Eastern European Russian uh, idea of, you know, just say what you what needs to be said. Don't be overly verbose or expressive. Mm. Don't be too extroverted, I guess. But I think over time, you know, if, if Jerry didn't, I, I think her her you know her her firebrand sexuality would have come out. But you know, she's just a bit guarded with that. You know, I think she would only release that beast, so to speak. Um, you know, once she gets to know a guy a bit more, maybe not on the first time. Like like Kramer says, you know, people are yeah. a bit tentative and a bit shy. You know, you've got to, yeah. you've got to sort of like work up to that. And I think she would have. Yeah. Well, once she finds the comedian, as per the Romanian yeah. folklore that she believes in, so she says that Jerry's a funny guy, but not a comedian. Yeah, he, he may tell jokes, mm. but he is no comedian. <laughs> He's no comedian, yeah, yeah. And she won a silver medal at the Olympics. That's a pretty good effort. Far yeah. out. It's basically saying for the next four years, you were the second best gymnast in the entire world. That's that's very impressive. Yeah. I don't know anything about gymnastics, but, you know, silver medal at the highest level of competition, that's pretty bloody good. Pretty bloody good, yeah, yeah. So she's uh, clearly talented. Yeah, I think she struggles mm. as well a bit, maybe culturally with you know, Jerry's very big on banter and, uh, you know, chit chat and pointing out the obvious and the, the mundane, you know, that's his thing. But I think it's also, you know, an American thing as well, just banter and a bit more lighthearted conversation. Katia seems a bit more serious and a bit more yeah, not unwilling. I don't think she dislikes it. I just don't think she understands it. You know, when Jerry's trying to lighten the mood talking about Ceausescu, you know, he would have been a good dictator, you know, you know, I want a coffee and a muffin. You know, she, you know, he's trying yeah. to make a joke and and, you know, make light of I, I don't know anything about Ceausescu, but the fact that he was a dictator probably means he was a pretty bad dude. But she she mm. doesn't really like get whether she's like just doesn't find it funny or she doesn't understand that Jerry's just trying to make a joke of it. And I think that speaks to yeah. her like cultural difference of Jerry with Jerry of like small talk and chit chat 
you know, and obviously it's not the case for every single person in Romania or Eastern European countries, but, you know, I think yeah. it plays into that stereotype of that difference in American culture, which is a lot more banter-based and more chit-chat and lighthearted mm. and just maybe frivolous, whereas, you know, yeah. themes just a lot more only speak about what's, you know, a bit more serious, I guess. Yeah, I because that- being under dictator rule, you know, you kind of, you know, you don't really have that kind of lightheartedness, the banter, you know, you kind of, you know, you're controlled pretty much all your life. And the stereotype for being from like Russia and the Eastern country, like the Eastern Europe, you know, is like everyone's upset and angry all the time and yeah. no one has makes jokes so she she kind of falls into that kind of category yeah yeah she just seems a lot less banter driven than jerry and Hmm. doesn't really understand or you know she knows what he's saying but i just don't think she's on the same wavelength because of that cultural difference um i do like a little story a little anecdote about her father saying that you know he used to take her and the family to the circus all the time and he would blame elephants for all the ills of the world <laughs> the ills of the world yeah, I imagine yeah. Jerry's, Jerry's trying to sort of like go along with the story and he's like well they do take up a lot of room like he's trying to find a reason <laughs> to, to I love that. Father about like why would you be angry at elephants and it's like well the only thing I can think of is that they take up a lot of room other than that they're pretty <laughs> like they're pretty harmless pretty harmless there's not, there's not many of them so <laughs> you can't really blame them for that much of course they so Romantic. Yeah, yeah. I, I sense maybe a bit of longing for, you know, Romania, you know, or her family. Yeah. Even though, you know, she was probably brought up in a, you know, a bit more of a cruel, sort of less desirable place than than uh, America. You know, when she when she meets Misha, her um, who we'll talk about soon, her um, you know, former Olympian teammate, Olympic teammate, she sort of perks up a bit, her eyes light up and she seems to be a bit more upbeat. And, you know, her mm. recounting her story about her father to me sort of demonstrates maybe a bit of, you know, maybe which is understandable. You would miss your home country even if it's not the nicest place to be or wasn't the nicest place mm. to be. I think she, maybe she, I sense like a bit of sadness in her, a bit of longing, you know, maybe for, you know, what was her family in Romania and, uh, you know, the life she had as an Olympian, even though she was from Romania at the time, you know, she would have been, you know, riding high being so successful in the Olympics. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. And uh, yeah, Jerry is unable to provide that. So do you think when she, when she meets Misha and she starts talking Romanian, I think she says the word Jerry three or maybe four times. Do you think she's having a bit of a bitch about him or she's just saying, oh, this is my boyfriend, Jerry, just talking about him? No. No, no, well, Misha introduced, well, I'm sorry, I mean, Katia introduces uh, Jerry to Misha before. Um, maybe they talk about the whole flexibility thing or the superstitions about Jerry. Maybe she's saying Jerry isn't the comedian and then he just starts laughing. Yeah. And maybe because he believes in all that stuff too. Yeah, because it kind of looks like they're sharing a bit of a private joke. Like they're not laughing directly at him, but they look like, you know, they, they could have spoken in English to be polite, but the fact that they mm. immediately talked in uh, in Romanian, you know, may suggest that they're, they're hiding something, um, you know, knowing that the chance of Jerry understanding Romanian very very yeah. and the fact that they say his name if yeah i think they were yeah making fun of him a bit probably making fun of him it wasn't it wasn't like bullying but maybe he was no, just having no, no, yeah she's having a bit of joke a a joke a, about him sharing a, a bit of a private joke and the fact that katia you know she breaks up with him in the next scene i don't think she really cares like even if she thinks oh mm. jerry might think i'm making fun of him I don't really care because I'm going to yeah. break up with him in an hour anyway, so it doesn't really yeah, matter. Yeah, exactly. You know, at, at that point, there's yeah. no stakes whether she, whether Jerry's bothered by it or not. Yeah, it just it just baffles me how they got together. <laughs> Literally, no chemistry at all. The only guess I have is that you know maybe she's searching for the comedian. She talks about the folklore of the comedian with great desire to meet that person. You know, to, to sort of to see if it's true. So maybe she's just dating any comedian she meets to, to find out, well, maybe this guy's the one. And, you know, when Jerry turns out to be uh, not so flash in bed or not as flash as she was hoping based on the folklore, she's like, mm. well, 
he's not it next you know maybe she's just <laughs> maybe she's just cycling through the comedians to find the comedian and then she meets Banya and he, she's like <laughs> yes he's the one imagine if Banya you know like, is the one yeah, one of, the, one, of the biggest, one of the biggest losers on a show full of losers. Is the biggest hack hack comedian <laughs> in the world. Turns out to be, you know, the, the Romanian uh, legend, you know, the, the dynamite lover in sex. Yes, that's him. I reckon it's Kenny. And then they broke up and then he met Jenna. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Because, you know, Kenny, like we mentioned a few weeks ago, Kenny loves following in Jerry's footsteps. Oh, so yeah. it makes sense. And then she yeah. was as flexible. She was like a pretzel with him. Yeah, he would have. <laughs> not even knowing that it would would upset Jerry. He would have said, like, I met this girl, Jerry. You know, Katia. She's, he, she's flexible. Yeah. She's flexible. <laughs> Have you ever seen someone's ankles up to their ears? Yeah. <laughs> Jerry just would have been very upset that uh, she, you know, she didn't she didn't uh, give him that gift, but she gave it to Banya. Yeah, that's what I'm going to go with. Yeah, <laughs> Kenny, Kenny got it. Makes sense after. All right, why don't we talk about, we've already mentioned Misha, um, Katya's friend yep. and former Olympian teammate. Let's talk about him. Yes, Misha, yes. Uh, he was played by Maurice Godin. I don't have any acting credits for him, but yeah, I, I don't have too much to add um, on top of Katya for Misha. I mean, Misha, I'm, I'm going to say that maybe they were from the same village or community and yep. maybe well, both their families and, you know, um, you know, fled the uh, regime. And uh, yeah, they both settled in the US and they both represented Romania. I feel like as well that maybe Misha is probably not as talented as Katya in terms of gymnastics. I feel like maybe he represented Romania too, but probably I don't think it's mentioned that he won a medal at the Olympics. Like he did participate, but I feel like he's probably not as good on the Olympic level. Like maybe he just qualified for the finals or maybe missed out or something. I feel like he's probably not he doesn't have the talent like Katya that would make sense I mean you know and it's not to downplay anyone involved in the circus obviously uh, anyone who's you know who works in a circus is highly talented but I guess the circus mm. would be kind of a, you know if you're at a, an Olympic level and and now you're working for the circus it, I could understand maybe seeing that as a bit of a, a bit humiliating like I'm, I'm a bit of a joke mm. yeah yeah it's like I've been training for four years and then I you know I finished like 20th in the final or you know I wasn't even in the top 30 or whatever it is whatever the however the qualifications work in the Olympics and then suddenly you know he's he's like I've given up man you know I thought I could go far Katya's got a silver medal you know I feel like I failed my country he's probably loving his mother country too probably like I failed my country I want to do something else yeah I, I feel like as well before he met Jerry obviously Katya and and him are pretty close I reckon they would have talked yeah about maybe you know when uh you know I could imagine Misha ringing up Katya saying hey you know I'm, I'm at the circus this Saturday why don't you come along and then on that phone call, they got into a conversation about Jerry and Katia said to yep. me, you know, I met a comedian, but he's not the comedian. and that's Not the I'm comedian as per our folklore. Yeah. Yeah. And Mita mm. is a bit like, you know, a bit cold to Jerry's just like, oh, yes, the comedian. Like he's a bit. A bit yes, sweaty. that's right. He actually sounds yes, French yeah. as his comedian. He's like the comedian. I thought he was. Yeah, comedian. He doesn't even sound Romanian. No, no, no. Well, no. But then they speak. Yeah, well, the name of the actor is Maurice Godin, so could be French or Godin. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't see his nationality, but yeah. Maybe he lived in France for a while or something. Maybe he trained in France or something. I'm, I'm, Maybe. <laughs> Yeah. Who knows? But the fact that he, um, you know, and again, it's that cultural difference, you know, where Jerry, you know, and it's a commonly used term, as far as I know, across most countries, at least English speaking countries is, you know, break a leg. And it's, you know, literally, it's, it's not a nice thing to hear, but it's obviously a, a gesture of, you know, good luck out there. But, mm -hmm. you know, Misha and Katia being from a more stern culture, you know, one that's less lighthearted maybe they would interpret that literally so maybe misha actually jerry you know he was confused by it and he 
thought that Jerry was actually saying to him, break a leg. And then that contributed to, <laughs> you know, being a bit off and then Kramer's scream sealed the deal. and uh, <laughs> Just exacerbated everything, yeah. Yeah, yeah. To do tightrope walking, even if you highly train and you do it every night, you would still need to get into, I imagine you would still need to get into some sort of zone to focus like 100%. Yeah. So even a, even a little term that you don't understand completely, like break a leg, I think that would be enough that focus is so, like, so strong that the smallest thing, you know, and the strength of it is also the fragility of it, like the smallest thing can like upset it so kramer uh sorry uh, jerry saying break a leg is you know in and of itself is nothing but his focus must be so strong that even that little throwaway line would would disrupt it and then yeah like Kramer, like i said kramer's scream would just you know undo yeah. any focus or balance that he has and he you know he unfortunately falls and i'm guessing breaks a leg or two because he's in hospital well he would have fallen into a net i'd imagine yeah. you know that would add some safety net or heart or something but yeah because I, I, you can see when he's on the tightrope you can see his internal monologue you can see he's not quite there yeah. mentally you yeah. know when he's walking he doesn't feel like he's concentrating he's kind of like his head's a bit away from him from his body yeah. and uh yeah then then the kramer kidney scone stream you know he literally comes crashing back down to earth after hearing it when uh jerry says break a leg he he sort of stops not stops but he kind of hesitates a bit and he looks at jerry like what like what do you mean like what is that he, he's a bit confused and jerry has to clarify you know like showbiz sort of you know just wishing a fellow showbiz performer well and yeah and that would have confused him enough to to set off you know I, I, even if he was fully focused and jerry didn't say break a leg or if he wasn't bothered by jerry saying that i still think kramer's scream was horrible enough you know he would have fallen anyway but uh you know an interesting little insight into the difference of culture and different interpretation of of you know what is said which was a nice thing by jerry you know he's wishing a fellow performer well but unfortunately misunderstood by misha and led to him uh, like you said crashing down to <laughs> or crashing back down to yeah absolutely nice only other notes i have are on well i've got some notes on mr pitt as well as the mm -hmm. executive, our executives, I should say, Aronson and Beck. Um, do you want to talk? Yeah, yeah, just a little bit. Yeah, I mean, not too much. I mean, we can, you know, he he was a you know a stalwart in Elaine's subplots in season six. Obviously, her boss for that most of that se season's run. Yeah, we find out he's a very obsessive person. I mean, we've seen in future episodes and previous episodes that when he latches onto something, he's really obsessed with it. Especially like you say, the Thanksgiving Day Parade in the Mum and Pop store, and uh, yeah. you know, finding out what song on the radio it is, and you know, being obsessed. So we, we've mentioned in his um, Elaine's Bosses episode where we talk about him and other bosses Elaine's had in the course of the show, we mentioned that Mr. Pitt is quite obsessive when, you know, and when he latches onto something, he really latches on. So I feel like with the 3D art, he'll put everything aside just to find that thing. And it doesn't matter about money, mergers, businesses, like he'll just put everything aside. He, like he's got that inner child in him who wants to come out and it's, it's always curious. So yeah, just kind of got the best of him in that situation. Yeah, I think we said in uh, the Elaine's Bosses episode as well, which if you go back and listen to probably two years ago it's uh you'll we're talking mm. about it in uh, more depth i think we said that you know during his childhood you know because he was raised in you know i'm guessing a very upper crust well-to-do family where sort of working class or pop culture was sort of looked down upon you know it was the only interests you should have are intellectual and and high and artistic you know but he has some like strange affinity or desire to you know when he comes across it by accident like more pop culture stuff and, you know, the, the Woody Woodpecker balloon during the Macy's Day Parade and the, now the 3D art in this episode, you know, I think he, he has a curiosity about pop culture or things that 
would be understood by the common man. Actually, sorry, he, he actually says, you know, my father discouraged any pursuit, you know, held in regard by the common man. He actually says that. So, you know, when he gets an opportunity to to interact with, you know, what he sees as common man art, in this case, 3D art, it, it's like he's mm. scratching an itch that he wasn't allowed to as a child and yep. you know, that he probably still for, you know, for the fact of maintaining a social cachet that he has, is still not allowed to fully indulge except, you know, on the odd occasion when it just sort of comes across him by accident via a lane. Yeah, like you said, very obsessive. Uh, I think this is his most obsessive. You know, he's very obsessed with the song on the radio, but he says in this episode, he hasn't ridden his horse Jenny in three days. So he's been staring at that 3D art, I would assume for three days straight, but maybe sleeping and eating and going to the loo, which is like another level of obsession, like in the in the Macy's Day Parade and the song on the radio. I don't think he's obsessed with those things for three days straight. So, you know, his mm-hmm. obsession, his obsessive personality seems to be, you know, getting more and more severe, I think, as, as time goes on. Yeah, definitely. And uh, I just wanted to touch, it's sort of about Mr. Pitt, but when it comes up, we talk about whether scenes in episodes would be, you know, frowned upon today. Do you think the Hitler, you know, even though he was the joke, he wasn't joking about Nazis or encouraging Nazism, he, the joke was on him. But the fact that there was a portrayal of Hitler in a comedic sense, do you think that would fly these days? Oh, well, I think probably these days it would be seen as politically incorrect. But you got to remember, like, there were Jews that actually, like Jewish people wrote the episode, Alec and I'm pretty, I assume Jeff Schaefer they're Jewish as well. And, you know, Seinfeld, you know, being a Jewish person. So I guess coming from Jewish people, you know, I think that kind of, it kind of worked. And I think it was more, it wasn't more for the references to Nazis and what they did in Poland. I think it was more the fact that Mr. Pitt resembled Hitler with the fountain pen ink. Yeah. yeah. So He mm. was the butt of the joke. It wasn't, you know, he wasn't. He, yeah people suffering it was you know the joke was on him and he was unaware so i guess in that light yeah and the fact that it was written by by jewish people you know i think it would still it probably be frowned upon a bit more today but i don't think it would be unseen you know i don't think it would be so controversial that they wouldn't even touch it yeah i had a couple of notes on the uh poland creek executives uh aronson and beck so uh they're in the same scene they basically just parody each other they remind me a bit of stew and can't remember the other nbc stew and jay from nbc yeah they're, they're kind of like a hive mind they finish each other's sentences. They're on the same page. They have the same energy. Uh, and also the the two executives that meet George to try and poach him to come to a different baseball team. Uh, who are they again? You know, they, they're kind of like copies of each other. They're the same person split in two. Beck and Aronson reminded me of those other executives in other episodes because they don't really have any noticeable differences in personality. You know, I'm guessing they're both like accountants or, you know, high level of executives at uh, Poland Creek. Mm. And, you know, they, yeah, they kind of just say the same thing and they agree with each other. Uh, as, as soon as I think Aronson says to Beck, you know, we've got to do something about this name change. You know, when they, when they figure out that Elaine isn't happy with the name change, they see that as like an in to, to change the name. There's no, like, there's no disagreement. They're just, they're just the same person, mm. just like a cookie cutter corporate executive who thinks and acts and says the same things. Yeah, yeah very true. Very true. Yeah. They're just a couple of, you know, corporate guys. They love their spreadsheets or whatever it was they used in 1996. 94 yeah and they're just yeah they're, they're into mergers and they you know they they appreciate the name <laughs> Mullen springs it probably wasn't their, they they said it wasn't their first choice but uh yeah that's what they got they probably spent three million dollars on a focus group <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. name like that well actually no it was, it Some was random Pitt's idea, wasn't it? But, yeah yeah it was mr pitt's idea all right that is all the notes on all the secondary characters we have in this week's episode bit of a uh, bit of a longer one than usual but uh, lots of secondary characters mm. to talk about when we come back after this break we'll talk about whether any of those secondary characters appear in our top 20 and where the gymnast appears in our episodes of, uh, we've reviewed so far the doctor said misha is going to be all right I must go and be with Misha now. 
I don't want you to come with me. Well, why not? It has been three days since our night together. Misha said that was all the time I needed to put in. Really? In my country, they speak of a man so virile, so potent, that to spend a night with such a man is to enter a world of sensual delights most women dare not dream of. This man is known as the comedian. Now, Stephen, out of 145 episodes that we have done of this podcast, where does the gymnast sit for you? Uh, it sits at number 121. I did like this episode. Um, nothing was like amazingly hilarious. I think yeah. I liked George's storyline the best. Mm -hmm. Getting out of the bin and then walking out with his shirt off after being crawled by the 3D art were my highlights. And uh, him yeah. just trying to sort of, him just realizing the potential fallout after being caught um, eating out of the bin was very funny to me. But yeah, mm -hmm. like you said, Katya, she, she was fine. She served the role well enough, but not very memorable, nothing really quirky about her. And, you know, Kramer's storyline of him having a kidney stone, obviously a lot of, you know, there's a lot of ground to be tilled in that storyline for physical comedy. And, uh, you know, mm -hmm. uh, Michael Richards does do a bit of physical comedy, obviously his herky-jerky movements because he's in such pain. But I don't know, it just felt, yeah. just felt like unfulfilled. The fact that he had a kidney stone to me mm -hmm. could have provided a lot more comedy, but it just felt underutilized or something. I'm not sure. But Yeah, Kramer was kind of more shoehorned in to the other yeah. plots. Yeah, yeah. I guess they didn't really have much for him to work with. No. What about you? 81 for me. So it's actually, uh, it's funny because the couch is number 80 on my list. So oh, okay. uh, the gymnast is one one spot under the couch. Well, there you go. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it was, it had its funny moments. I mean, George with the eclair. I mean, that's one of the, you know, lesser known iconic Seinfeld moments. You know, the, the, it's a Seinfeld moment that's enjoyed in the community, but it's not as revered in the wider community. And uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I didn't like Katia, the character too much, but I know she's meant to be like bland and dismissive and stuff. Uh, but yeah, no, there wasn't. Uh, it had its moments, but yeah, definitely wasn't uh, wasn't a top fifty for sure. Nice. Any of the secondary characters appear in your top twenty? Nope. Yep. Same for me. All right. Well, that's it for another week. Oh, but I don't want to be a secondary character. Thank you so much for listening. You can email us if you'd like. Bitwabasspodcast at gmail.com. We're on all forms of social media. You'll find those details in the show notes. And uh, you can listen to all of our previous episodes on your podcast app of choice. If you want to rate us or review us, that'd be awesome. And you can support us financially as well. Yeah, on Patreon and PayPal. So check all those links in the show notes. Indeed. Uh, as of next week, we will be recording Curbcast Season 3. So check that out on Patreon. And finally, we do have uh, the biggest Seinfeld group on Facebook, Seinfeldisms. So uh, check that out. Uh, again, link in the show notes. Got lots of cool stuff coming up. So uh, keep an eye on the group if you uh, wish. What are we doing next week? In season four is The Virgin with Marla. Oh, nice. Mm -hmm. oh, classic episode. Yes, we did the contest for our 50th way back when. So uh, it'll yeah. be good to, to do the prequel, The Virgin. Yeah, another little uh, sort of unofficial two-parter, The Virgin and the, the contest. So like this week. Mm -hmm. That's right. Yes. So uh, until then, I'm one of your hosts, Stephen. I'm the other host, Ivan. And uh, we'll see you all next week for The Virgin. Boy. Thank you.